0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are in chapter 17 of Luke's Gospel. You remember that last week we ended chapter 16 of Luke's Gospel. You remember that the conclusion of that is uh, this parable about Lazarus and the rich man, which is um, a frightening parable that should wake us up and say, you know, are we living as Lazarus, or are we living as the rich man? And it woke up the disciples, the disciples uh, hear this, uh, and the beginning of chapter 17 is the disciples saying, you know, what are we supposed to do about this? And Jesus says, uh, you are being called, you are being invited to rebuke one another. So he says, that's our first response, is that we're supposed to rebuke one another, which means... We're supposed to be encouraging one another to turn in repentance, right? We're supposed to be saying, that's the wrong way, here's the right way, that's rebuking, right? The way you're going is the wrong way, here's the right way. And then we're supposed to be repenting and encouraging one another in repentance. We're supposed to be practicing it and encouraging. And then Jesus says, you're supposed to be forgiving, And he says, uh, if you're not rebuking and you're not repenting and you're not forgiving, then you might be the one who's leading others into sin. And he says, if you're the one who's leading somebody into sin, then it's better um, that you have a millstone hung around your neck and be cast into the sea, right? It would be horrible for you to be the cause of sin. And this is where we pick up this morning with the disciples saying, increase our faith, right? Because they're responding to that, that horror of warning that we too could be the cause of sin. So they say, increase our faith. Sometimes when we hear about faith, we think about, um, especially uh, in the last several hundred years, we think about the way that we think. We think that faith is all in our minds because we we're so much consider ourselves as being kind of, you know, brains, you know, and these vats, Right? And, uh, and so it's this idea that I have in faith, or it's the way that I think, or if I'm faithful, it means that I'm, I'm never going to have doubts, and I'm always going to perceive the will of God. And that doesn't seem to jive really with the way that faith is talked about all through the scriptures. Faith is something much more um, uh, whole and complete about the way that we live our lives. Uh, the word that we use to translate as faith uh, can also be translated as loyal. Uh, It means loyalty. It means duty and it means obedience. And we see that with the prophet Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk ends this passage with saying the righteous will live by faith. And the prophet Habakkuk is um, at this time when um, the, the people of God are right on the precipice. Habakkuk is about 600 BC. So he's about 30 years before the nation of of Judah, the southern nation, is going to be taken over by the Babylonians, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been swept away by the Assyrians. That prophecy has already been fulfilled that we saw by those earlier prophets as we've been reading about Amos and and Isaiah in the past couple of weeks. So they've already been taken captive. They've already been um, called Samaria and uh, they are under the boot now of the oppressor, and so this small southern kingdom of Judah, with Jerusalem as its capital, is is all that's remaining now of the once powerful nation of Israel and uh, their king in Jerusalem. And Habakkuk is warning them; uh, he is warning them about uh, their living of righteousness, and at the same time, he is saying to the Lord, "What gives?" The prophets have been telling the people, right? We've been the messengers. We've been saying, live God, uh, godly lives, live lives of righteousness. But then the wicked continue to look successful and powerful. And they seem to be getting away with it. That's not right. And Habakkuk is, is, is really upset about this. And, and he's calling the Lord to account. He's saying, I've done my part. What about you? How long will I cry for help? He says. And not see justice. And of course, that really goes to the point of who has ever seen justice? None of us. We've never seen it. We've never seen justice flow like a river. We haven't. And yet we still know That we desire it. We know that it's good. And we know that the Lord has promised it. And so we still cry out for it. And the Lord's response to Habakkuk is kind of terrifying. He says, oh, you're going to get justice. You're going to get justice in a big way by a group of people that we call the Chaldeans. This is not what Habakkuk was asking for. (laughs) Right? The Chaldeans are the fiercest, Um, group of people within the Babylonian Empire. The Chaldeans are are right around the center of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, They were the first great people in that region, and then um, as they grow and swell, it becomes the Babylonians, and of course the Babylonians become the Persians, and the Persians really um, spread and uh, go to the outermost reaches of Asia. But at this time, the Chaldeans are this uh, radically fierce People that are known for their destruction and they're known for taking more and more territory. And the Lord says, That's the justice that I'm going to send you. You're going to have consequences for your actions, consequences for the whole people, for the whole nation. And then Habakkuk has to stand back and say, Okay, this is what you've promised. You've ordained them as judgment. You're the rock. You've established them for reproof. And he says, so now I understand that you have your job to do, even though it's not really what I was asking for, the way that I was asking for it. And then part of Habakkuk saying, okay, Lord, I understand what you're going to do and who you are. The other side of that, the other side of the coin, the the other aspect of... Recognizing who the Lord is and what he's going to do, how he's going to bring judgment, is to recognize Habakkuk's place. And so Habakkuk says, I will go to be the watchpost, to be a station on the tower. He's saying, now I understand what my duty is to be. And this is a wonderful analogy when we want to think about the prophets. Uh, a, a wonderful analogy of the prophet is the watchpost, right? Uh, the, ha- the, the prophet stands up in the watchtower and he says, Oh, look, danger. Right? And then the Lord says, as long as you warn the people of danger, it's up to them to listen. You don't have to make them listen, right? You can lead a horse to water, right? And so the prophet is the, the watchtower, the watchpostman, and he says, look, danger is coming, right? He's rebuking them. He's saying, you're walking in the way of evil, walk in the way of righteousness. And if the people don't hear it, then that's up to them. He takes it one step further and he says, write the warning in a way so that those who are running past can see it, right? And this is the human factors that we use on uh, signs, right, for uh, freeways, right? We know that it's got to be a certain letter, a certain size, so that when you're doing 70 and you're putting on makeup, you can still read where the exit is, right? (laughs) That's what the Lord is saying. Make sure that when they're going fast, not doing what they're supposed to do, not focused, they'll still see the exit. They'll still hear the rebuke. Make it clear. And of course, this is what gets like every prophet killed, right? He says, I'm going to make it bold uh, and clear to you. And the people say, you're kind of pushy, right? You're kind of pushy. We're happy to do what we're doing. And part of the understanding of Habakkuk saying, the Lord has his job and I have mine. I have my duty station. I have my place to be. is is to have patience, to understand that we're not in charge of the Lord, we're not in charge of the nation, we're not in charge of the people around us. We're supposed to identify what our duty is, what our call is, and then we need to get about that. And often that means being patient because we want to push and cajole, right? I'm doing my job, now you need to get busy and do yours so that I can do more of my job. We want to push and cajole each other. And the Lord is saying through Habakkuk here, um, if it seems slow, if it seems slow, wait for it. Right? This is chapter 2, verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In other words, God's time is His time, not our time. And then he says, the righteous will live We'll live by faith. That, that summary is that we will live by loyalty. We will live by knowing who God is and then how we're supposed to respond. We'll know how it is that we're supposed to be faithful. Right? To be faithful. To be a faithful husband or wife isn't to say, okay, I'm going to do what I do as long as you do. Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Okay, then I'll do what I do, Right? That's not what faithfulness means. Faithfulness means I know my job. And I'm going to do my job no matter what. I made a promise. I will be faithful. That's what it means in marriage and that's what it means in our relationship with God. We don't get to say, okay Lord, I'll do my part as long as you do yours. Are you doing yours? It means that we understand who we are and what we're supposed to do. who, Who we are called to be. And this is what Jesus tells the disciples. He says, you don't need a lot of faith. You just need to know who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, and then do that. He says, if you just have a mustard seed worth, that is the smallest seed, a microscopic seed, then you'll be able to cast a mulberry tree into the ocean. At which point we should all say, why? Why would I want to put a mulberry tree into the ocean? That doesn't make on the surface any kind of sense, does it? That's what I've been hoping for? Is that what we've been promised? You're going to have faith and then you're going to start sending trees into the ocean, right? Is that what we invite people to do as Christians? The mulberry tree, the the fathers remind us, uh, is the favorite abode of silkworms. The silkworm lives on the mulberry leaf. And it's, uh, it's interesting when you consider the role the... Metaphorical, allegorical role of the worm in scripture? The worm is so much more important to ancient people than it is to us, right? Because of the miracle of modern science, we don't think a lot about worms. In the ancient world, they're thinking a lot about worms because they're in almost all of the meat that they eat, which means that most people, the vast majority of people, had worms living in their intestines and this was a major problem and concern of health still in many parts of the world today the worm is a very important thing right and the worm becomes the worm becomes a symbol for satan and sin right that thing that's living inside of you you know it's there you don't want it and you just can't figure out how to get rid of it and it seems like every time you do something good or take something into your body the worm gets fed You don't want to feed the worm, but the worm keeps getting fed. And this is Jesus' warning, right? He talks about being cast into uh, the fire of hell where the worm never dies. Right? Where the worm never dies. So the warning here is about the worm and about the danger of letting sin into our lives and allowing it to feed on us and allowing that sin to constantly remain without what did he just tell the disciples? Rebuking, repenting, and forgiving, right? This is the medicine to the worm, right? This is the real medicine the Lord gives. Number one, we've got to be telling each other, that's the wrong way, here's the right. Then we've got to be practicing repentance ourselves, which we've talked about before. It's a very complex process, right? This to this, right? Right? Oh, I was going this way. I realized that's the way of sin. I'm going to stop and turn this way. I've repented. Now in forgiveness, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to keep bringing it up every time I talk to you. I'm going to encourage you in your walk of faithfulness. Right? I'm not going to hold it against you just as I ask you not to hold it against me. So in the second part of Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verse 5, he introduces another very short parable, which on the surface, especially as a modern, we think, hey, wait a minute, maybe especially as a modern, maybe especially as Americans, because we love to say thank you, right? We want to thank everybody. We want to smile and treat everybody, right? Because that's the American way, right? Everybody's an equal. Everybody here is in service to one another. But this is not the ancient world. This is not the ancient world that Jesus is describing. The ancient world that Jesus is describing is a servant and master relationship. And he says, the master doesn't tell the servant, oh, thank you very much for doing what you're doing. He says, continue doing it. In other words, the the faithfulness, the obedience is not a means to an end, which oftentimes is the way that we think about faith. Oh, if I think a certain way, if I have certain thoughts, then I'm going to get good things, right? My daddy is going to give me good things. If I just have faith, if I just am loving, then I'll get some good things. I'll get my prayers answered. We think of faith as being a means to an end. The Lord's saying, faith is the end in and of itself. It is the good thing. There doesn't need to be a thank you. Because the good thing has been accomplished. You've done what you were supposed to do. Your duty has been fulfilled. And when we fulfill our duty, when we fulfill the task that is before us, when we fulfill that thing that is a part of who we are, then we have all of the good that we need. Because we, have, we are who we are supposed to be. And when we know who we're supposed to be, when we know what our purpose is and we do it, there's an incredible... An incredible feeling of of, of gratitude and of belonging and of of peace that the Lord promises. And this is what St. Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you're called to be. Remember your grandmother. Remember your mother. Remember the faith they gave to you. This is who you are. Keep being who you are. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Don't think that you're going to escape suffering, because we're all going to suffer for doing what we're supposed to do. But what is he telling? He says, "Fan the flame." He says, "Fan the flame." In Second Timothy chapter one verse six: For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God—power and love and self-control. So faith, this loyalty, this, this duty has been put into us. We have to encourage it right through rebuking and repentance and forgiveness, through clarity and understanding. We fan it and then we, we do it. We live it out. Self-control and self-control and power and love. He says that we are sharing in suffering. He says God called us and saved us for what? To put us up onto the shelf? To look at us? This is a confusion that some people think. They say, "Oh no, works! I'm so afraid of works." The works that Paul is talking about here are circumcision and table fellowship. He's saying, if you think that circumcision and table fellowship is going to do everything that you need, and once you've accomplished that, that's it. Or we could think for us, once you've been baptized and you've said the Jesus prayer, then it's all over. That we're, we just got started. We receive the Holy Spirit for what? To answer a calling. To answer a calling. Not because of our works, but because of His purpose. His purpose. What's God's purpose? To save the world, and He's calling us to participate with Him in that. He has manifested Himself, He has appeared, He has abolished death, He has brought life. And because we believe and are convinced, then we can do what? Follow the pattern. Right? That's loyalty. Loyalty and obedience is following the pattern. Oh, what does a Christian life look like? That's why we've got the saints up on the walls. Because we need to know what the Christian life looks like. We need to know what pattern we're following. We need to say, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a single person. Or I'm a person with a family. Where is a, a single person? A person with a family? Where's somebody with no education? Where's somebody with a lot? Where's somebody that works with their hands? Where's somebody that teaches? There is a, a pattern... Of following Christ that we can find in all the lives of the saints, and we're supposed to be looking for that pattern and saying, That's the life that I'm going to live. We are unworthy servants, and we have only done our duty. It's an honor to serve you all, it's a blessing. And it was an honor uh, two years ago, in January, to hold Financial Peace University. We gathered a dozen or so people into the church. We had people from our parish and people from outside of our parish. And to get out of debt requires a goal. You've got to know what you're trying to get to. And we all shared our goals, and people talked about retirement, and they talked about vacations, and Amber talked about adopting child and she talked about the work that she was doing so that she could get to the place where she could invite children that didn't have a family into her home she knew that she needed to clean up a little bit that she had to make room in her life for that and she set upon that hard work and after two years of this hard work we see the fruit of duty of loyalty Because Daisy will never understand what she's done for her. She'll never stand up and say thank you so much. The thanks is in the doing. And the singing. And the evidence. And that blessing is not just for her but how much have we benefited from her loyalty and obedience. How much have we been blessed in sharing in that life. When we do our duty When we do the purposes of God, we receive the blessing and the action and all those who are around us are blessed, whether they know it or not. Let's have a baptism.